My name is, is Chris um, Q. That last name starts with a Q. And I am an abstaining compulsive eater. I'm an overeater, a sugar addict. And thank you for inviting me uh, to tell my story. Uh, the statistics, just to get them out of the way, I joined Overeaters Anonymous March the 1st in 1976. It's a long time ago. Um, my top weight of my life was before Overeaters Anonymous was 205. I maintain at 125 and my abstinent date is November the 13th, 1977. So I'm coming up, um, God willing, the creek don't rise. I guess I'm coming up on 46 years in the fall, but that's in the fall. Today's today. Um, I'm very humbled that my former way of life is now more or less a story of how it was. And I owe it all to this program. I, I will take a few minutes to say what it was like. I was My lowest weight in my whole life was nine pounds, 10 ounces. And I think that was still heavy for my age because I was like five minutes old. And um, that's a big baby. And she grew into a big toddler. And uh, I outgrew the size 6X clothes long before I ever reached uh, age six. Um, I was the chubby child that they, in the old days, used to say, oh, she'll lose her baby fat. But I never did. I just got more and more of it. My family had an alcoholic in it and a mother who should have had Al-Anon, but this is 1956, oh, 1950, 1949, Truman was president, and um, a small town in South Dakota. So we didn't have services, and I don't think we had AA probably. If they did, my dad didn't go, and he was the alcoholic. Um, so in our family, we addressed uh, feelings and situations that are uncomfortable to talk about by not talking about them. And uh, my mother was not an alcoholic, but my dad was. And so I learned that you do something else besides talk about your feelings. And in my case, it was to eat. We owned a bakery. There was no shortage of sugar. And anyone who's had children, unfortunately, we know that children can be calmed down by giving them whatever they want. <laughs> it comes to haunt you later and it hurts their health. But nevertheless, um, that's what was done. So I was overfed as a baby and I was chubby and fat. Uh, my dad died of his alcoholism when he was 49 years old. I was seven. And my reaction to that was to take to, do you allow mentions of food in this meeting? Yes. Okay. So my, my way of dealing with childhood depression was candy cookies and cartoons and I sat in front of the TV every day after school and ate until my mother came home from work. And then I had dinner and more dinner. And then, of course, there was a big snack before bed. And then we'd start the day all over again with, with sugar cereal and um, school lunch and your school lunch, my school lunch, whatever, you know. And I got to be 205 pounds by the time I was 11. So anyone who's known the the horror story of being a fat child knows that it's not fun. Um, there's a constant fear and worry that a normal-sized child, I think, doesn't have as far as what do we do about clothes? What do I do about the Girl Scout uniform? What if the gym uniform doesn't fit? 
you know, um, I was a problem, I realized, to uh, just to clothe me. And I think I was probably visually an embarrassment, but nobody, nobody said anything. My brother made fun of me um, and how I ate. But um, God bless my mother. She's hung in there and raised me and probably just prayed a lot. In fact, I know she prayed a lot. Um, clothing, well, we, Lane Bryant used to have a Chibet department. I don't know if they still do, but God bless them, I guess, for having it. It was nice to have a place to buy some clothes that would fit, but the Chibet sound like a baton twirling group or something. That's not anything that you want to join. So don't, don't go there if you don't have to. The behavioral aspect of the disease for me is to reach for something and put it in my mouth if I am at all upset or um, anything like that. And so when I was little, I, you know, I sucked my thumb, I chewed my fingernails, I chewed on my pencils at school, I chewed the bows of my glasses. I always had hard candy or something popping in my mouth. There had to be something in my mouth all the time. And that's a behavioral piece too for my disease. Now, the sugar thing is the physical addiction of my disease. Um, I started dieting when I was 12. Back in um, I, whatever year that would have been, it would have been those speed pills that doctors would give you without thinking twice. And I was only a child. And I lost 20 pounds. Uh, that summer, I think I gained probably a good two inches or more in height. So visually, I looked better. And it was good enough. I mean, it was good enough. I was now overweight instead of obese on a chart because I'd gotten taller. And it was good enough. But my overall belief system, watching all the children around me and the girls around me especially, was that thin people had it made. And that really became my lifetime career. Um, so I dieted. I'd lose 20 pounds, I'd gain 20 pounds, I'd lose 20 pounds, I'd gain 25 pounds, I'd lose. I never got over 200 again, but I lost those same 20, 25, 30 pounds over and over and over and over and never reached what would be a normal weight for, for my height. So in my mind, from the day I can remember being a person, I always was on a diet or should have been on a diet. And that was my lifestyle. Um, I lost the weight in my 20s. I won't go into how I did that here, but suffice it to say, much to my amazement, I was eating three meals a day, but nothing in between. And I got to be thin. I got to be thin one other time too, but I was in the hospital for a month and I couldn't get to any food. And of course, when I got out, I was overjoyed at being a normal weight. I went and bought new clothes, but the first thing we did was go to the local truck stop and have burgers, fries, and shakes. So you know how long those new clothes lasted. They were tight by, that was September. They were tight by October. They were really tight by November. And well, here we were again by, by Christmas. So um, that was my, my style. I can't think of all the money I must have wasted throughout the years in, on new clothes every season, having to buy new clothes all the time. Um, so when I, when I got married and went to graduate school and we were beyond poor, we didn't have a lot of money for fancy food and we didn't have money really for gas for the car. And through really no 
<laughs> to, through dumb luck, I started losing weight because we were eating normal food and we were walking three miles a day. And I, I realized, I think for the first time, that my weight was actually related to how I lived my life. It wasn't just a dirty trick. I wasn't just bad luck. I, I got fat because I ate too damn much, you know? And, and so now I was in search of thin and I was getting closer and closer and closer, but I would, it wasn't getting all the things I thought thin people got. So I got thinner and thinner and I didn't get all the things that thin people got. And I was really, really puzzled. And I was still a sugar addict. So if you gave me anything sweet, a hard candy, a piece of bubble gum, anything, I was just off. I had to have the whole bowl, the whole bag. I, uh, I mean, I think I was scary to look at. If you watch me chew a pack of gum, it was weird. It was, it was, it was, it was just weird. And so I did what I didn't mean to do it, but I did what often happens is that I started gaining weight. And I gained 27 pounds. So I knew where this was going. And for the first time ever, I actually asked for some help other than that doctor back when I was 12 years old, because now I was 26, 27. But first I was going to get my hair cut. And the woman said, gee, you have pretty hair. I told her my whole story. I don't know why. I was in Greenbelt, Maryland. I tell this poor salon person my whole story of my life. And she's just listening and nodding. And when we were done, and this was just a walk-in, I didn't know anything about her. So it was dumb luck that I found this woman, this woman found me. And she gave me her card and said, you know, I belong to a group I bet you'd really find interesting, maybe even helpful. Why don't you give me a call? So I'd say never pass up a chance to 12-step somebody if you have a chance, because you might save a life. And that woman saved my life. She really did. I went to my first OA meeting. I called her. She told me where there was a meeting close to my house. I went to my first meeting, March the 1st, 1976. And um, I never, I never stopped going. I never stopped going. I mean, I've never been to a room of people that knew what I was talking about, who nodded, who were happy to see me, who were telling similar stories. I was no longer the weird elephant in the room. You know, I, I finally was in a place where there were people like me and there was a name for what was going on with me. And it was really true. There really was something wrong with me. It's just that it wasn't the kind of stuff that my mother and parents and people had always thought, you know, maybe it's her metabolism. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's the thyroid. Um, it was a behavioral, emotional, mental bag of awful stuff coupled with a physical allergy in my case to alcohols and sugar. And here they were. So the books don't tell us how to stop eating compulsively. The books are here to guide us to find, guide me to find a spiritual awakening sufficient, the big book says, sufficient to stay sober, sufficient to stay abstinent. If I want more than that, there is more than that to be had here. But the whole idea is to get me to put the lid on the cookie jar, the cork in the jug, however you want to phrase it. And the food plan initially did that for me. It gave me a very safe place to be on a daily basis. And it bought time. 
uh, to work the steps. And it, anyone who came in in the 70s, no, we didn't have any OA books or OA step books or OA reader books. We we just had the big book. And we had alcoholics who would come and try to tell us the best of their ability how to apply this to our particular disease. So I came on March 1st. I did not have the requirement for membership. I wanted to stay thin and I wanted to eat a cake on my birthday, which was three weeks later. And I never did have that cake. And I stayed. I stayed for the long haul. It took me 18 months to get it, to somehow get it that this was not just Weight Watchers or Tops or something like that, but that this was a way of life and a byproduct of this way of life is that I could live life as a normal sized person. And that's a scary thought if you've never been a normal sized person. And thank God for the fellowship and people who helped me learn how to do that how to eat like a lady, so to speak, how to be nice to people, how to how to get rid of those behavioral traits and characteristics that are just causing me so many relationship problems. Um, the reading today is a tough one. It's a really tough one. Um, I think the opposite of fat serenity is the belief that thin is well. I, I haven't experienced fat serenity because when I was fat, I was not serene. I was grouchy. I was irritable. I was mean. I lied. I, I pretended I wasn't fat. I bought clothes that were too small. I write hate notes to myself and put them on the mirror. I, um, I disliked everything about myself. I, ne I, I never experienced a serene moment being fat. But I did fall to the opposite illusion, which is thin as well. And if I got to be thin, I was well. And I didn't have to be nice or work the program or do anything because people thought I was well, because ours is such a visual program. And thank God for tough love every now and then. And, um, you know, somebody who would say, you're awfully thin. I'm worried about you. Are you sure? Oh, well, maybe you're not eating enough, you know. Um, because it can it can go both ways. And so that reading today, to me, was, had a couple things in it. And one, the first one is honesty. You know, I have to, it says we can recover if we are rigorously honest. And, you know, I'm the woman who put 135 on her driver's license when she weighed 180, because after all, when I got, after that next diet, I was going to weigh 135. So if it could be true someday, why not pretend it's true today? Thank you. And so that's how I lived my life. It wasn't dishonest to me because I knew somehow if, if the lie I told was something that could happen, then it could be true if it were true. And so I could live with it. It was a crazy, crazy I mean, when we're under the influence of sugar, I'm crazy. I'm just, I don't think clearly, period. So a lot of this reading today was about honesty. It says, how honest am I? The other piece of the reading that really hits me is the reading that speaks about my responsibility as a recovered compulsive eater. And it says, if newcomers don't see any recovery, what, may, what would possibly make them want to come back to a program? And when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I was looking for physical recovery. I didn't know there was other kinds of recovery because I didn't know anything about the 12 steps. 
And so I came into the room and I chose the thinnest person in the room to be my sponsor. And she was the craziest person in the room, probably. I remember we went out for dinner and I've never seen anybody eat green beans that compulsively in my whole life. It scared me. And so I learned pretty quickly that a visual, when they say, find someone who has what you want, ask them how they got there, just how we visually look isn't necessarily the only barometer of a person's recovery. Because in our, you know, with our case, I have friends who come down from like 400 and some pounds. It takes a long time to come down from that. So the outside world looks on, on, on somebody and says, oh, they're fat when they actually they're 200 pounds thinner than they used to be. And they're going toward a healthy body weight. So we really, really need to hang together, I think, because there's so much about this program that has to do, for me anyway, with self-esteem and with how I how I feel about myself. And those things used to make me eat. If I didn't feel good about myself, I would try to drown my sorrows in, in donuts and cookies, and that's not going to get me to feel better about myself. What I learned here is that to feel better about myself, I hang with the crowd and try to hang in the middle of the group. And really be honest and ask for help in all aspects of things I don't know how to do. So that means help working the steps, understanding the steps, daring to even try the steps, um, help to learn. In my case, it was how to learn to be a, a normal looking person. What does a normal looking person act like, move like? How do I buy clothes when I'm used to just buying anything that fits? You know, people would say, well, what's your style? I don't have a style. I bought, I bought anything that fit. There was all kinds of outward stuff that had nothing to do with spiritual recovery per se that I had, that I've learned from my OA sisters, that I've learned. I've learned how to go out to eat. I've learned how to shop. I've learned all kinds of things um, that came along with learning how to be the person I am today, who's right there on the weight chart, normal. I'm not too thin anymore. I'm not too fat anymore. And my sponsor said, you will have to work really hard if you're honest. You'd have to work really hard to be either too thin or too fat. You'll be where you're supposed to be. It might not be where you want to end up, but you will be where your body's going to end up. And it took me about two, three years for my metabolism to even out from all those from 20 some years of, of up and down, up and down, up and down by 20, 30 pounds on a regular basis. And now she's right. She's right. You know, um, I don't have to go worrying all the time about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to wear and, and am I, I going to fit? It's it, My body has settled down to who I am. Now, of course, it's the unending, unending, wonderful job that we have these steps that don't change. I hope they never reword the book. There's always threatened, you know, they're going to reword the big book or something. But you know, this is the outline for my life. And I can take this outline for my life and my food plan anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. And my morning is the same. My meditation is the same. The readings are the same. The book is the same. The meetings are the same. And this is an outline for safety for somebody who otherwise 
couldn't be trusted to, to do this on my own. I use this, I use this as the outline of my life. Oh, there's my oh dear. My time is up. How do I stop the darn thing? There we go. You may have heard it, you may have not have heard it. Now I'm also old. And OA, my always people are teaching me how to be old. Uh, my time is up, but the only other thing is that I've aged in OA. I came in when I was 27. I'm 74. There's a lot we women go through, a lot men go through too, as we age. And things change. And this is a program that isn't written in stone in that respect. It's for any life, any stage of life. Um, it meets us wherever we are and gives us, me, a way to continue forward. At one day at a time. I've never been this old before. I can't say the last time I was abstinent when I was 74 years old, this is how it went. Every day is new. It's just like being a newcomer. And that is the end. My time is up. I want to hear all of you share. Thank you. <laughs>